Well, uh, we're continuing our series in uh, the Psalms of Ascents, Journey to Joy, it's called. And uh, last week, Ben gave us a terrific introduction. Uh, Lots of things to think about in what he said. And today we're going to think about Psalm 121. And I wonder if I might first have the privilege of leading us in prayer again. Almighty God, you are infinitely holy, infinitely glorious, infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, infinitely majestic, without beginning and without end, and you're sovereign in all your authority. And as Ian reminded us last week, you are ever-present, present in all your fullness, everywhere, at every moment in time. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And that's uh, very reassuring, Father, knowing that you are here with your care and your compassion and your concern and your mercy. But, Father, it also feels a bit scary because you know our hearts through and through. And my sister Joan reminded us on Friday that our hearts are deceptive and wicked, Father, But we come to you in Jesus' name, because in him you have shown us that you are infinitely gracious and infinitely merciful and infinitely loving to us, your people. So again, with reverence, Father, we ask you to forgive every sin, creating us pure hearts and right spirits, Father. Quieten our minds now that we might glorify you in the preaching and the hearing of the words. And Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. Amen. 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 Well, do you enjoy travelling? I know a number of people in the church really enjoy going on holiday. Uh, Luke and Sarah will be whizzing back and forwards as they have been for the last three years back across to the States in, in aeroplanes. Some of you are travellers in uh, the widest sense of the world from east to west uh, uh, to the Caribbean, to the Far East and everywhere in between. Uh, but if you know me, you'll not be surprised to know that travelling makes me very anxious, particularly flying. Uh, I don't like the takeoff. Uh, and I don't like the landing um, and I don't like the bit in between particularly when the captain <laughs> and the captain says we're seven miles above terra firma in uh, Boeing's equivalent of a tin can um, uh, Dillis will tell you uh, that uh, when we're in the plane waiting to take off I uh, mentally wrestle with the pilot and, and I fly the plane by the brute force from the aisle seat in row 28, uh, using the drop-down tray table and the seat in front uh, to get us off the ground and safely back. That's why I need Psalm 121, because that's sometimes called the Traveller's Psalm. Uh, As uh, Ben said last week, we're not sure how these Psalms of Ascent were used, uh, but I believe they revolve around the annual pilgrimages that the Israelite people made to Jerusalem. Three times a year, at the times of harvest, they'd travel to Jerusalem to present offerings, uh, offerings to God, give thanks, 
and to worship him. For many, the journey was difficult. There weren't any uh, real roads in those days, only well-trodden paths along cross valleys, along rivers, uh, over mountain passes, with the fear of being beaten and robbed. Feet were sore and muscles would ache. But these psalms speak to us at a spiritual level, for to be uh, a Christian is to be a pilgrim in this world, isn't it? We are strangers and sojourners. This world is not our home. We're on a journey, even if we continue to live in the same place. And we face crises. We're impacted by sin in our own lives and in the lives of others. So the Christian life, our journey, is a difficult one. So Psalm 121 resonates practically and spiritually with our experience in life. And in verse 1, the psalmist is considering where he'll get help for his journey to Jerusalem. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Our pilgrim, he sees the mountains and he thinks, how am I going to make this? I need help. The psalmist could be thinking of the dangers in the mountains. We Kids told us a story of the good Samaritan mugged and left for dead. Jesus didn't tell stories. He'd had some uh, uh, experience in real life. Uh, the, the psalmist could be thinking of the high places, the places where the pagans around them worshipped lots of different gods. Whatever the mountains represent, the question is the same. Where does my help come from? And that's a relevant question for us, isn't it? As we journey through life, as we face trials and tribulations and darkness and difficulty, where do we look uh, for help? And uh, our psalmist gives his answer in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from God, he says. My God is the God who helps and supports me as I face the journey, the fear and the danger. It's God himself who is going to be my help, my strength, my support. And he reminds himself of who his God is. It's the Lord. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that the word Lord is in capital letters. That's not done for emphasis. It means this is the Old Testament personal name of God, Yahweh. And his name means the God who is, the eternally existing God. This is the God that the Jewish people worshipped and they were very careful about using this personal name of God. They didn't want to misuse it. They were really, uh, it was very precious to them. So they often called him Adonai, uh, the Lord in lowercase letters. Um, but uh, that special name, Lord, in capitals, is what we've got here. Uh, the point is that uh, our help doesn't come from just anyone or anything. It comes from the Lord, capital letters Yahweh, the self-revealing, eternally existing, ever-present covenant God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel, the one true living God, the only God, actually. And this one true God, the psalmist says, is the maker of heaven and earth, the God who created all things. The psalmist reminds himself, those hills you're looking at, your God made them. 
Your help from the, comes from the God who made those mountains. And our help in life comes to the one true living God who made all things. The grass, the flowers, the trees, the mountains and the seas, the sun and the moon, the stars, the planets. He made everything out there. He made the laws of physics and chemistry. He upholds the laws of physics and chemistry. The God who makes and superintends and governs and sustains reality as we know it. That God, that awesome, awesome God, is our help right now. Imagine some 55 years ago, you'll have to have a good imagination, because there I am in school, struggling in my maths class with calculus. I didn't understand it then. I didn't understand it now. But if Albert Einstein had come along and sat next to me and said, hey, let me help you with that. You need to put that sign there and do and do that. That would have been great, wouldn't it? Um, or imagine you're trying to play the cello, something else I've no idea how to do. And Yo-Yo Ma, this world-famous cellist, strolls up and he says, let me give you a lesson. You put your finger in like this, you hold the bow like that, you play it like that. The one who is my helper in all things is better than any of them. He's the maker of heaven and earth. What a hope and a help we have. This God who is transcendent. He's above and beyond time and space and creation. That should lead us to worship him. He's also imminent. He walks alongside us to help us. And that should lead us to thanksgiving. Our God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth, that's who's going to help, says the psalmist. That's where my help comes from. Uh, where do you need help right now? What are you worried about this week? What's keeping you awake at night? What's discouraging you? We need help, don't we? Our church needs help. Our country needs help. And is anyone able to do that? Well, our help comes from the Lord. And if you're in trouble, let me encourage you to look to the Lord for help in everything, in all things. And that means that we have to pray. Um, I hope you're not like me. I say amen to that. Let me pray. But on Mondays through Saturdays, when the heat is on, my first thought when trouble comes is not to go to the Lord who is my help. When the going gets tough, I make a phone call, I might send a text, I might rush off an email, I might hurry out and do a visit, I might make a phone call. If all else fails, then I think, ooh, perhaps I ought to pray. But we need to be people who consistently call on the Lord, who pray even as we get out of bed, Lord, I need your help, even today. I need your help to follow you. I need your help to get through the day. Because we need God's help every way, in every day. Every day. An American pastor, they're always the best, aren't they? He said this, we need to cultivate a consistent consciousness of our need for God's help, our dependence on him, even as we get on with our lives, for all our help comes from the Lord. And amen to that. You'll notice in verse 1 and 2 that the psalmist is speaking in the first person. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. But in the rest of the psalm, 
is speaking in uh, about you, your foot watches over you, your shade keep you. Do you ever talk to yourself? Uh, that world famous theologian Bugs Bunny, he said, I talk to myself because sometimes I need an expert opinion. There you are. Well, perhaps our psalmist is speaking to himself, meditating on the nature of God's help, or perhaps having received encouragement himself in verses 1 and 2, he's now encouraging others to make, who are making the journey with him. Whatever the reason for the change, these last six verses tell us how God helps us. What does it look like for God to help us on our journey, on our pilgrimage? Well, if you read uh, the whole psalm again um, very quickly, the repeated idea you'll find is that God watches over his people, protects them. If you have a different uh, uh, edition of the Bible to mine, you may add the word guard or protect or keep. Uh, apparently, they're all translations of a Hebrew word, shamar, which is used six times in these eight verses. How does God help us? Well... He watches over us, he guards us, he protects us, he keeps us. That's how he helps us on our journey. If ever you see um, news footage of a president or a prime minister doing a walkabout, you know, kissing babies, shaking hands, that kind of stuff, you'll also see in the background uh, uh, a couple of people who are alert and facing the crowd, and often they're wearing sunglasses, and these days they will be carrying... Uh, pistols, guns I think, they're bodyguards, they're watching over the president or the prime minister or if you're having a beach holiday and you see a small child running down to the sea, oblivious to everything except the water, just look around because somewhere there'll be a mum or a dad standing up and seeing the child's every move, watching over them on a much greater scale, on a much more infinite scale that's what God is doing for us, watching over us, guarding us, protecting us, keeping us. So let's just have a look at these six verses in a little more detail. Verse 3, he'll not let your foot slip, it says. The path might be rough in the mountains, rocks and boulders, perhaps mud may make the path an opportunity to twist your ankle or break your leg. Um, but God won't let you put a foot wrong on your journey continuing in verse 3 he who watches over you will not, will not slumber indeed he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep God is never off duty he never needs a power nap he doesn't have to drink coffee to keep awake God does not sleep you can call on God at any time in any place and in any circumstance when I wake up at three o'clock in the morning panicking, as I often do, God is awake with me. And between ten o'clock and three o'clock, when I'm asleep, well, God is awake, watching over me. And when I go back to sleep at 4.30 for a few hours, well, God is still awake. God doesn't sleep, so I can just go back to sleep. It's okay. God is watching over us. But God isn't just watching over me. He's watching over Israel. God is watching over all his people. Guarding, protecting, 
keeping his church. And he's not just watching over the greatest saints. He's watching over the greatest sinners too. However much a mess we've made of our lives. He's watching over this church. So our church leaders don't have to wake up with a panic at three o'clock in the morning. Because God is watching over this church. He's watching over you. And he doesn't sleep. And then verse 5. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now my wife and I, we've been blessed to go to uh, the Middle East a few times as tourists. Uh, the Sinai Desert is awesome. Well, we went there during the day. It was very hot. And we went there at night and there was no moon. And the stars were just absolutely amazing. So the days are hot, but the nights are cold and dark. And it's easy to understand in this psalm the metaphor for protection from the sun. Daytime sun can be dangerous. The heat can be blinding and sunstroke can kill. So shade is a dramatic picture of God's care and protection. But what about protection from the moon by night? Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, another American, I think, says that uh, using the opposites day and night gives a picture that is... Uh, uh, nothing of either day or night can harm us if God is keeping guard. God is our covering against every calamity. He's our shade against the visible perils of the day as well as the hidden perils of the night. Well, I was going to say it seems unlikely that here in Rotherham we're often in danger of sunstroke, but given the experience of last week, all we did was sit in the house. We, <laughs> we couldn't move. So anyway, perhaps in Rotherham you're in danger of sunstroke and uh, I'm not sure you're in danger of being moonstruck much but uh, there we are. But God is our shade and he's our shade when we meet uh, bad conditions at home or at work or at university or college or at school. When we come across the burning heat of anger or the biting coldness of being shunned when relationships break down and our culture can be a hard place to follow Jesus an atmosphere of hatred can easily build up when we proclaim Jesus is king and seek to live for him but the Lord is our shade he watches over us he protects us, he guards us, he keeps us whatever conditions we face and then we reach the crescendo of verses 7 and 8 the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. These verses speak of a God who keeps, who watches over our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, day and night, waking or sleeping, coming or going, watching over the totality of our lives, now and forever. And surely that gives us confidence. God is watching over you. God is watching over you. The ever-present, ever-awake God is watching over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm, it says in verse 7. And we all say it all into that, don't we? I'm sure you do. But we have a problem. Because we know that bad things, sometimes terrible things, happen to God's people. God described the Old Testament King David as a man after my own heart. 
but he lived as an exile for loads of time, being chased by a homicidal maniac called King Saul. The Apostle Paul, uh, called by God to be his apostle to the Gentiles, was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned in 1454. Two people, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, were burned at the stake for their faith. How did God keep them from all harm? I'm in my 70s, um, and like some of you, I've wept with the pain of the suffering and the difficulties that I and those I love have gone through. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, one day you might. I hope not, but one day you might. So what do we do with that in the light of the Lord will keep you from all harm? Let's remember that this is a psalm of ascent. It's about a journey to a precise destination, in this case, Jerusalem. The, tra- the psalmist is travelling somewhere specific, and so are we. We're on our way to a particular place to meet our God. And part of making sense of this psalm is to understand that God is watching over us, guarding us, protecting us, keeping us for a particular purpose. And his goal in mind is to bring us safely to our heavenly home. So in verse 3, God will not let your foot slip. Actually, you might break your leg, you sprain your ankle, but you will complete the journey. God is going to get you to Jerusalem. The sun may get too much for you. You may feel unwell. We did last week. But that won't stop us. You're going to get there. God is going to bring you to your final destination. He's going to watch over you, guard you, keep you, protect you so that you do. That's not a call for us to sit by the roadside and wait for something to happen. This is a call to keep on going. Whatever happens, you are going to make it. You are going to reach your destination. Eugene Peterson says, No injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will, ha- will have evil power over us. We will be able to, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. You know, the Bible never promises a life free from pain and suffering. Whatever the prosperity gospelers might tell you, being a Christian is not about lying on a temper mattress being lifted to heaven by bluebirds. It ain't going to happen. Actually, quite the opposite. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But Jesus also said, take heart. God does promise that he'll be with us in and through our pain and suffering and he will bring us home so as we near the end of our message this afternoon may I take you to the uh, New Testament book of Jude Um, Ian took us there last week, I had actually written this before that Ian but thank you it was a confirmation, you should find the book of Jude, perhaps somebody would shout the page number out when you get there The book before Revelation, I think. One, two, three, one. Thank you. One, two, three, one. Uh, Verse one says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And here we have 
the same hope. What's a Christian? They're someone who's been called. God has called them. They've felt the call of God in their hearts. Uh, they're loved by God with an infinite love. Uh, and they're kept. God keeps everyone whom he calls. And if you look at the doxology in verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling on the rocky path of our journey and he's able to present us. We are going to make it. Jesus not only saves us through his death and resurrection, he has the power to keep us from falling and to make sure we get there, to be in the presence of our God. That's the important Christian doctrine, by the way, of the perseverance of the saints. I think it's a misnomer. I think it's the perseverance of God, really. But anyway, the perseverance of the saints is called. God's truly born-again people will make it all the way. We don't have what it takes to persevere to the end, but God does. God is keeping us, helping us, holding on to us. And Jesus is able to present us uh, before his presence but we don't sit on our sofa waiting for God to do it we have to keep on keeping on and just look at verse 20 and 21 this is why but you dear friends by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life we keep going with the confidence that God in his mercy will bring us to eternal life. We keep the faith with confidence that God is keeping us so that we can keep the faith. So we have to keep on keeping on knowing that God is keeping our keeping on, if that makes sense. God doesn't just save people and then say, oh, good luck on the journey. He walks with us, helping us, guiding us, shepherding us, so we will make it. The grace of God that saves us is the same grace that brings us to the finishing line. I don't know what you're going through right now, but if you're struggling on the journey, uh, let me try to encourage you. Um, Dillis and I bear the mental and emotional scars of being in circumstances where we were no longer able we couldn't cope some of you know that but the one who bore infinitely more painful scars of a thorn pierced brow and nail pierced hands he was faithful to us in his covenant promises he was there with his infinite compassion and his infinite love and he proved he was able where we were unable and our testimony is this God has not only saved us but God has kept us all the way. And we're confident that in Jesus, he will keep on keeping us until the day when he takes us to be home with him. My brothers and sisters, God is able when you are unable. Unable to cope, unable to face pain and sorrow, unable to face tomorrow. When suffering arrives at your door, God is faithful. God is able to keep you, and God will. But perhaps you don't identify yourself as a Christian. 
perhaps uh, one of the doubts you have about becoming a follower of Jesus is I just don't have what it takes to follow him uh, perhaps you look around at Christians you know they seem to know loads about the Bible some of them are really good at praying lots of them are involved in the church doing things and you think I'll never be like them I just don't have what it takes and I want to tell you this you're absolutely right you don't, uh, you don't have what it takes but neither does any Christian only Jesus has what it takes Jesus has what it takes to save people and Jesus has what it takes to keep his wandering way with people his often confused and puzzled people his people whose faith is often very weak Jesus keeps them and he keeps them all the way we need his grace every moment of every day that him amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me thank God we were saved but go on a verse or two through many dangers toils and snares I have already come it's grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home the grace that saves us is the grace that keeps us Jesus says all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I'll never drive away I shall lose none of all those he's given to me but raise them up at the last day Jesus doesn't lose any of his people so if you're worried you don't have what it takes to follow Jesus let me encourage you to trust him uh, to repent and believe in him and you'll find that Jesus will follow through. He will save you. He will keep you. He will bring you safely home. And may his be all the glory. Let's pray.